I wish more business people understood what creativity could do for the bottom line. And I wish more creatives knew how to make money, frankly, and figure out how to weave those two worlds together. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and media, disruption, innovation, leadership, all different kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito. It is here at the middle of January 2023, and I'm flying solo today uh, as my usual co-host for the last five years. Tom Richardson is off doing other things on a Friday morning in January, Friday afternoon in January. Um, and we're going to talk about career journey, reinventing yourselves. A lot of the things that we'd like to talk about with a special guest who I met last summer uh, at an SBJ, Sports Business Journal Leadership Conference. Um, he had come and presented his book, which we're, we'll talk about a little bit. Um, but his his journey, especially uh, on the storytelling side and on the agency side and on the inspiration side, is really unique. And I thought it would benefit the listeners we have both going back to school in various places around the country and around the world, but also people who are looking to kind of figure out what's next. And, and, and I'll leave that as a caveat of saying this year, as we do our podcast, and we're now well in excess of 300, um, we're going to talk a little bit about second acts, because I think second acts are more relevant today than ever before. But our guest today is Ryan Berman. Ryan, welcome to the Cusp Show. What's up, Joe? Good to, good right. to see you. Yeah. Um, so Ryan, for, for people who don't know yet, although they will, take us a little bit on your journey as to how you got here, both in the storytelling and the activation and the, the motivation and the brand partnership space. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a journey. It's probably the right word. Um, I got really lucky, to be honest. Like I, I started my career in New York City. You know, mm -hmm. uh, my mentors were all mad men mm -hmm. and they were mad men. There weren't a lot of mad women. I'm just telling it like it is. That's a whole nother podcast in itself. Yeah. Um, and I kind of caught the tail end of it, to be honest. Like I had walked in when advertising still mattered in a traditional sense, like you knew your work was going to be a big idea living on NBC, ABC, CBS. And what so really if I extract what I learned and I was at a 700 person creative agency and it was, you know, I described New York city like a treadmill in 10.0, you know, you know, it, you're, you're there. The, the treadmill never stops. It's, it can be really hard to get on. You could, if you're not careful, you could bust your chin. Um, by the way, it's just as hard to get off. It's like, mm -hmm. it's really hard to get off that train. Um, and I had basically taken the first seven years of my career dancing on both sides of the brain in creative business. And that's how it was positioned to me. One of my mentors, and he wasn't my mentor back then, to be honest, I was terrified of the man. He was running a 700 person creative agency. His name was Ron Berger. Uh, it wasn't until later, but that he became my mentor. But I remember him saying way back when, Hey, you're going to get a PhD in creative business. And that stuck with me even to this day because I, I mm. wish more business people understood what creativity could do for the bottom line. And I wish more creatives knew how to make money, frankly, and figure out how to weave those two worlds together. So even to this day and fast forward, uh, you know, basically since the age of 29, I've been living out in San Diego, California as an entrepreneur, 
totally. I started my first agency with three other people out of a house. It was fear and stubbornness that got us through it. Uh, a decade later, grew to about 100 people. And um, it was 2015, 2016, when, you know, you slog away for six and a half days a week to put yourself in a position where for the first time in my career, it's like, I'm actually not needed in the day to day. And I was managing, which is kind of what success looked like. Um, and I realized that every single time we're working on a creative idea, a courageous idea, people were happier. They'd stay later. And when our clients bought those ideas, the return was through the roof. And every single time we had surrendered to the safe idea, my office was empty at 459. Wow. I had a closed door meeting with somebody and the, the, the return was average. And we, of course, shame on us for presenting those ideas. Um, and we'd get let go like six months later. And so this was back when I was running an agency called IDEA. It was called IDEA. And I remember going to my partners at the time and saying, I think this is our positioning. Courageous ideas are the only ones that matter. And at this point, gosh, 98, 08, 08, I'm trying to do the math here. I'd say I had been doing creative business for 18 years when mm -hmm. I landed on a thesis, you know, and so whatever the, the Gladwell hours were, 10,000 hours, we were well beyond that. It took me that yeah. a lot longer to get to, to that idea. And I'm like, courageous ideas are the only ones that matter. I want to, I think this is our positioning. Let me go out in the world and see if it lands. Let me go interview some people that are way smarter than me. Um, that, and they were like, go. And it was a, a thousand day journey where I got to interview the brave, the bullish, and the brainiac. And um, to make this long story short, the joke was on me. Like everything I learned pretty much gave me the courage to fire myself from that last life and start courageous. And that's how we met, where we met. Courageous today, we say we're special forces. That helps you figure out your special, pinpoint your special. But really, it's operationalizing courage. So there's a, a leadership component to the business. There's still a courageous ideas component to the business. And I think there's an entertainment side now. And like, can we use entertainment to teach people? Almost take the courage out of courage, right? And give them the tools that they need to help them realize, oh, this is a moment where I could be courageous. Thank you for helping us spot that moment. And here's how you actually do it. Mm -hmm. How... um. Going back to the agency, um, we are in sometimes, especially sports media and, and brands to a risk averse business. Um, how much of the sell-in, and if you even think of an example or two, the sell-in had to be take a chance with us because, or did you come up and was there an example without naming who it was um, of someone who you thought was the greatest idea ever? And they're like, nah, we just want to do the buy. Yeah. So I, what I think I know, cause you know, you're, you never know, but what you, what I think I know is that it, it took me to my third business courageous to mm. get how important weaving your point of view into the name of the businesses. I, I truly believe this. Now, look, obviously mm. I don't have, I don't have Google money, so I can't right. come up with a name that doesn't mean anything and then make it mean something. And I also, you know, I'm grateful that I'm, I'm not a legacy brand where like 150 years ago, it was like the name on the door was the company and that was the person and that's that. So 
I actually do myself a huge favor. And I think anyone that's listening to the show that is interested in being an entrepreneur or going into story or going into marketing or going into a risk averse business, just by calling ourselves courageous, we're telling the world who we're not for as much as we're telling the world who we are for. And mm -hmm. I didn't get this right all the time. So, you know, last company is called idea, you know, shit, there's bad ideas, Joe. No idea. <laughs> no idea. Right. Bad idea. I'll take you back further, you know, than a, than a good idea, obviously. And so I don't think we were as clear as we could have been. And I, and I, and I think the whole goal of the exercise is to how fast can we match logic with a client? And even you, you talked about in sports or I think it's not just sports to me, it's every, every business has, you know, risk averse moments and you understand why and the bigger you are, often the harder it is to leap. And, and I always say, if you're risk averse, you're unbeknownst to you, you're courage averse. You know, if you're in the risk mitigation mm -hmm. business, you're in the courage mitigation business. It's, it's the same conversation. It's just mentality on how you look at it. So all I'm trying to do is find that 15%, that 10% mm -hmm. of, of leaders or brands who have the mentality to go, you know what? He's right. Like if everybody else is risk averse, this would be a good time to hit the gas. Look, we've been talking about recession, recession, recession is coming. Now I hear it's next year, or if it's not next year, it's the year after. I've heard this for four years, and I'm not saying it's not coming. But this would be the time, if everybody's hunkering down, go pick up some pace here and, and, and make a move. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be reckless with it. That's not courage to me anyway. Right? And there's a way to do it in a way that can move your business ahead without like doing it in a careless manner. Mm -hmm. um, and examples, like who, when you go back and you look at your hall of fame, um, the people who listened, there are a couple that jump out because then I want to talk a little bit about the journey in the book as well. So, yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I think the, the, the best work we've done comes only with trust. Right. And sometimes it takes, it takes, you know, meeting in the middle the first time before you get to the second time. We, mm -hmm. We've done some pretty amazing things with Caesars Entertainment and mm -hmm. specifically Harris. Here's a brand that kind of needed to figure out where they were going. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but out here now there's not just Harris. There's there, there are certain Harris that get resort status. Mm -hmm. So if you're a Harris resort, like you got lazy rivers, you got a pool scene out here in Southern California, we literally turned Harrah's into Funner California. It's legally called Funner California now. Hmm. We Now that's not where we started. We built trust with them and realized that this was a destination for fun. The first campaign out of the gate was your first resort for fun, right? Instead of your last resort, your first resort. And then building on the first resort for fun, like, hey, we said, if this is a real destination, let's, let, like, let's make it a city. And so we turned it into Funner. California. If you're going to have a city, you need a mayor. Our first mayor was David Hasselhoff, Mayor Hoff, who got the key to the city and he's got, he had specific rules. Then the second mayor was Rob Riggle. We're now on to Jane Lynch. And what happened was the conversation of like, okay, imagine Funner, California and Harris being in Funner, California as a city. What would the boroughs look like? You know, it's not fun. A pit boss in a suit with their arms crossed. Mm -hmm. waiting for you to lose so the rules of the game because we got it right on the outside started to change the culture on the inside 
And Joe, this was my aha moment and why I chose to leave my last life is I found we were being hired transactionally to tell stories to the outside world that were BS to the culture on the inside. And mm -hmm. the minute I found C-suites who realized the story had to work first on the inside, even if you take it to the outside world and there was an arrow between the two, that's when you didn't have an attrition problem. You had people that were believing. That's where loyalty came. And so um, imagine being able to work at a place and co-create a place called Funner, California. You want to be at Funner, California. You have permission to play in Funner, California. Uh, so I think that was one where over a period of two to three years, we built some trust with them, got to do some fun stuff, do some magic. You can, it's still live. You can take a look at Funner CA and hey, come on out if you want and come see the place. Cool. So, so you fire yourself um, when you get to that, that moment of, okay, you're out the door. Um, the thousand, the, the journey that you went on and the people you encountered, tell us about, you know, the wake up moment, the minute after you fired yourself that day, what that was like. And then also take us on the journey. Tell us some people who were along the way, because there is a book, by the way, that people can read and get, and we'll talk about that as well. Um, but take us on that journey. So, so you wake up that, that holy crap moment. Now I'm unemployed. What am I going to do? <laughs> and then well, where does it go from there? Well, I think I gotta, I, I think you have to go back even one more step. And, sure. and again, and you know, I've been studying story for a long time. I'm passionate about it. And when you uncrack story, if you uncrack every movie ever told, mm -hmm. it's pretty much the same thing, right? The protagonist thinks the treasure is one thing. And it turns out to be something entirely different. And, you know, going into this experience, by the way, I knew that idea. But for some reason, I, I, I didn't weave it over to what I was doing. I, I really thought that I was writing a book to position my last business. It was a devious ploy to position a business in fish taco land, San Diego, you know, not exactly known as the creative Mecca against LA and New York and San Francisco and the, the idea that at least I had felt was like we cannot be even with New York or LA it's to your point about risk averse it's too hard for a CEO to go you want to use who where let's just use Wyden and Kennedy let's just use Leo Burnett yep. let's use right like it didn't matter that I had worked in any of those places it was like who are they now what are they doing and if I have to go tell my board I'm working with them that's just way too risky. So the idea is like, oh, we need to be better. We can't be even. How do you get better? Well, I think this book is a way to, it's an asset, right? Like it's a, and it's a point of view. And again, as I go on the journey and then sit with, like I said, people on the brave side, which were Navy SEALs and astronauts and firefighters, tornado chasers, I was just really curious why they did what they did. How could you put yourself in the line of fire what was driving that decision um on the bullish side it was leaders at apple google method alexa uh, harvard i remember sitting with a professor at harvard um, walking him through the methodology that came up to teaching leaders and companies how to be more courageous and i was like please call bullshit on this like please like don't let me put something out into the world if it's not going to help people like and he's like, no, like you're, you are onto something. And then again, when you talk to like the founder of Method Soap, Eric Ryan, or you get to sit with Steve Wilhite, who has become a mentor of mine. Steve Wilhite was hired by Steve Jobs to run marketing for a period of time at Apple. 
and you just you get this opportunity to make this amazing cocktail right and if we're all mosaics then you know i'm a little bit of steve and i'm, I'm a little bit of eric ryan and i'm taking what i learned from them um, into my point of view on the brainiac side that was the biggest aha moment for me i got to interview um, the founder of uh, Neurogym, John Asaraf. He has his brainathon that he puts on. He's written, written a ton of books, was the co writer on The Secret. My brain chirper, though, was a guy named Nicholas Alp, Cambridge PhD, who really dumbed down like what's going on in the brain for me. And again, I, I was curious why most of us tiptoe up to a courageous moment and then never leap. And the data is, you know, it's like 95% of us get right up there and then we don't do anything about it. And so again, I, I was just trying to break down all of those myths, I guess, or stigmas and then provide a solution so you can leave. So aha moment for me is you come out the other side and everything I learned when I ran my own partnership through it was working against me. And it didn't mean like I'm the smartest guy in the room and they're so smart and I'm it just we were not all clarity for our business to move forward. So to me, that's how it all started. And you know, when I leaped on that day, I knew in my heart it was the right move for me. I felt like I had the right point of view for me to take out into the world. I didn't know if it was a, you know, like you said, am I an inspirational speaker? Am I a consultant? Is this something that's a, you know, I'm just gonna be a 1099 the rest of my life. I just I really believed in the in the principles of of courage. Um and you know, I mean, I sold back my shares. So it wasn't like, I was like, well, now what do I do? I, I had 18 months of runway to figure out how to make this uh, what it is. And obviously we, when did we meet again this summer? So yeah. since then, it's been crazy, man. I've had a chance to speak at Google, Deloitte, Kraft Heinz, Kellogg's, Church and Dwight, uh, people that I, you know, met and worked with in Major League Baseball I'm talking to now at the NHL. We talked about sports a little bit. Um, and it's it's just cool to see that you put your little cat signal into the world, which is my logo, as you mm -hmm. mentioned on my hat. And um, it resonates with the right people and you see where those conversations go and you follow it from there. Um, and, and I'd be remiss in, uh, without mentioning the name of the book is Return on Courage. Um, came out, uh, has been very, very well received, all these stories. Um, but the other piece I wanna talk about are socks. Tell us the sock story, like your sock story, because it's okay. a really kind of unique one. And I'm, by the way, on the physical side of socks, I'm a huge sock guy. I love collecting socks. That's my new thing. So, uh, oh, good. Well, let me know. One. I'm yeah. happy to send a few pairs. So, yeah, sure. so remember, I, I, I again, it, this is the right time to talk about this too. Mm -hmm. you know, so basically, imagine me ejecting myself out of my last life. And to to my old partner's credit, like what I thought I was working on was for the business. So. What we end up agreeing to is that I have an 18 month non-compete and I've got to go do something else. And there's no reason for me to launch the book right at that moment in time. So I parked the book and I decide to, you know, think about, Hey, I've got all these principles that I just learned. And usually people write a book and they leave their ideas in the land of theory. And I wanted to like put it into practice. And I'd always had this idea of like, how do I use my superpower for good? And so we ended up, or I ended up launching a stock company called Sock Problems, where sock isn't just, you know, a noun, it's also a verb. Like, if you could sock any problem in the world, what problem would you sock? Would you sock racism? Would you sock climate change? Would you sock cancer? 
And so every sock that we have at sockproblems.com is attached to a charity partner. Mm-hmm. You know, we see ourselves as an altruistic company that strives to sock the world's problems with socks. And if you wanted to sock hate, if you wanted to, which is our rainbow pow sock, by the way, with 25% targeted cash going back to the Trevor project, one of the sock breast cancer, which is uh, mm-hmm. the National Breast Cancer Foundation, we probably have a pair for you. And to me, it was, it's just awesome to like, again, I'm back to what I learned at that first agency, it's it's not creativity for the sake of creativity and it's not business for the sake of business, it's creative business. And it's, I feel like it's it's a win-win-win, like if we can help people support them in more ways than one as they support the causes that they they care about, that's the concept of sock problems. Cool, and how's it gone? Gone well? Yeah, you know, it's funny, it's like, to be honest, it's, it, you know, we launched out of the gate, we had an amazing first holiday season and then it was really time for me to launch courageous mm-hmm. and so I, I just very recently brought in a new president mm-hmm. to run the business um and we're doing you'll see on the site there's a few bundle packs that we're now trialing uh but like fully believe in it like totally believe in bringing more products that can be win-win wins right and i think we all want to make a difference in our own way and Sometimes we feel overwhelmed, right? So just our little way of wearing the sock that socks a problem you care about, or like, again, if someone in your family is coping with cancer and you snap a picture of that sock and send it to that person, it's a way to connect us. So I, I, I honestly believe it's got a lot of potential. Um, I, I hate and love that word, you know, for all the reasons mm-hmm. that you would, you would too, but I like our chances. It's just getting the word out on who we are. So, so two questions before we get to our last two. One is um, the journey of the author. Um, many people have talked about writing books. It's not easy to do once you kind of put it pen to paper. What was that challenge like to take all your creative energy and put it onto a white piece of paper uh, to make sure that it's actually, it's not video, it's not audio. It's something that people have to actually pick up and read. How hard was that for you being a creative mind to think of? And then the other question is tying it back to the business of sports, which a lot of people are interested in. When you look back now over kind of your your breadth of business and your your goals, who are some of the either the athletes or the teams or the brands uh, that do it right? Wow, two really good questions. Um, so the book writing process it took me a year to research, mm-hmm. it took me a year to write, and it took me a year to understand this thing called the publishing business. Yeah. Right. And, you know, just from my, from what I can learn, the publishing business is a risk averse business. That is the irony, right? You know, like they want to know how many followers you have. It's not about the topic. It's about, you know, they're trying to protect their investment. And I think that I understand that, but I think that game has changed and it really forced me to like think differently. I ended up going with the hybrid publisher where I got to keep the rights. I mean, I definitely, cost me an arm and a leg out of the gate, but now I'm grateful for it because, you know, I own all the IP and, mm-hmm. you know, again, their editors were great. I still was able to get into Barnes & Noble, get all the places that I wanted to get to. Um, I I think when you're a creator, yeah, I definitely think about my fears. And there's a famous proverb that fear and courage are brothers that you can't get to the courageous move without first channeling it through fear. And what most of us do is we suppress that fear versus address it. And so again, trying to like live the premise of the book, like what were my fears? 
the two big fears that I had was I'm not qualified to write a book, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and two, like, how do you do that? How do you actually do it? <laughs> yeah. So the way you do it is by just doing it. Yeah. That's how you do it. Now, the, that sounds, it's a little lazy. My process was I had a, a, a day early in the week for research. And then on my on Friday is when I wrote. And you got to get the first draft out. It's going to change a lot from the first draft. And I think that's the part that's hard, most hard, like the hardest for everybody is like, just like get the first draft out. Don't worry about getting judged. If the if you have clarity in the in the purpose of the story, and you can just get the first draft out, you can start to move it along. And then you know my mantra is I'm patiently relentless. From that moment mm-hmm. on, it was like it's gonna happen. It's just it could just take some time. And Joe, the thing I didn't see coming that I love, I, I have a ten year old and a seven year old. So again, we're back to that hero's journey, right? Yep. Right. What I really, really want is to leave a playbook that if they so choose to go live a courageous life and, and you know, if I said, read the book, they're going to be like, screw you, dad, you, you know, but, but maybe one give, me, of them. give me the video instead. I'll watch it in 30 seconds. Exactly. exactly. Uh, but I, I hope that they want to live a courageous life. And now that there's something, you know, in print, it's going to live a lot longer than, than me. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then, so the other the other side of the topic are who are the people who walk the walk that, that you've either worked with or just kind of admire from a distance? Um, I think, first of all, this is like we need more time on this one, too. But I think any company that has the courage to reinvent themselves. And mm. again, this is a canned Bermanism. You know, we always say the re sets you free. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like, and it, it, it's that's the right language. If you heard that correctly, the re sets you free. Like, where do you need to reinvent yourself, or where do you need to re-energize your people, or rethink what you're going to be tomorrow? So, like a company like Domino's Pizza, you know, I Good love them because they they are a, a Midwest company, right? They've been around for a long time, and they had the courage to basically move on from a family recipe and recreate everything from the crust up and i just think it took a lot of courage and there's a lot of people at stake um and you know their stock price basically jumped from like three dollars to three hundred dollars over a period of a decade and again not a silicon valley company right there's there's cheese sauce and dough it's a commodity uh they they figured it out uh on a smaller scale we've done work with us ski and snowboard it's you know this is in, in in the sports world when you look at our U.S. ski and snowboard team and how it's evolved for the Olympics, it's seven teams on one team. It's seven sports on one team. You know, the irony that we're called the United States of America ski and snowboard team, and there's nothing that really unites them but the snow. And our job was to come in and unite them and take a mark that was 40 years old and get them ready for the next 40 years. And we ended up basically working with uh, some people at Nike and their athletes over there and um, Steve Nyman, who's just an awesome dude. I remember him making the mark when we presented it at their center of excellence. And he's like, here's the thing. Every athlete that wears this, like, I feel like this is a competitive advantage. It feels sleek. It feels fast. I feel like it actually gives me a little extra oomph when I'm on the mountain. And like, what else could you ask for? Is mm-hmm. like when you get the opportunity to unite and plus, it's like, you know, contribution to America and society. So 
just the opportunity to be able to work with the U.S. skiing snowboard team and like help them come up with their new mark for the next 40 years is pretty cool. Cool. Um, last two questions we ask everybody is you touch on so many areas, author, running a business, not-for-profit. How do you stay up to date with everything that you're trying to do? Where, where are your sources of, of, you know, 6 a.m. reads, you know, where, where are the places you draw from? And then how do you take that and kind of bring it out and pontificate that to all the people that you're touching during the day? Yeah. So this, so I'll, I'll try to be quick on this and this is going to sound like a slight shameless promotion, but I don't know how else to do it. So every, every Thursday I have a newsletter that goes out. It's a weekly dose of courage. And what I love about it is it, it forces me to stay on top of my game. Right. Yep. So not only am I building the muscle, just like you probably feel about the podcast, I've got my courageous podcast. So I, I have no choice, but to like mm-hmm. continue to consume content so I can stay on my, on my game. Um, like for example, this this past Thursday, and we're in January here. I'm not sure when this is going to yep. go live. January. But, okay, um, my newsletter was like was about the effects of remote work, and my take on remote work is it's not working. Mm-hmm. It, it, to me, remote work is like who's really losing here, and I think the answer is everyone. I think. The leader's losing because it's hard to inspire loyalty in that world. The manager is, is losing because they have a workforce that likes the flexibility mm-hmm. of time up. But, and the employee is losing. And they don't even realize they're losing, especially next generation employee, because they have the flex they like, but there's no mentorship. There's no collisions in the office. Yep. It's become so transactional. And the blame is on the leader. It's, it's the leader's job. And so the challenge that I had made in this newsletter is like, if you're going to try remote work, you better make it emote work. It has to be emotional. You know, I always Mm -hmm. say no feel, no deal. And if you can't create emote work out of your remote work, you, I mean, I don't see your business surviving, first of all, but slow down to make sure it's emotional. So your people like actually care and love and believe and want to root for you and work for you. So again, where do I go for those sources? Where I don't go is for like, I rarely go to mass media news, which should be branded now as the bad news because mm-hmm. that's all they show and it's all for clicks and whatnot. But I am, you know, look, I'm in Reddit. I, you know, I'm on, I am on social mm-hmm. media. I am, I am looking for different stories and I've got a team that helps me do this as well. Um, and, and usually that's where, and I'm, and I'm talking to people, a lot of my, a lot of my news is, is Joe, it's just like this. It's like conversations with leaders yep. in different organizations. So you're like trying to figure out what's actually happening behind, uh, behind the curtain. Mm, cool. Um, before we get to the advice question, which is the last one, how do you manage your time? I mean, that, that's another thing being on your own, you know, you're a dad, you're on the West coast, dealing with a lot of people on the East coast, I'm sure, you know, how important and how valuable is it that, that do you do it in your head or do you actually have someone coming in and running an egg timer for you? Yeah, great question. Um, so again, this is, I think, would also be good advice for the listener. Mm-hmm. I think even if we're not careful, technology will run the show. Mm-hmm. Okay. But actually, that's actually really good too. So the person that controls the calendar always wins. Mm-hmm. I think this is, by the way, this is my secret to good relationships too. Mm-hmm. Right. So I decide on my calendar the pockets of time that I need to th- for think time. Okay. And I, I literally block out that think time on my calendar. Wow. My team my team knows that they can't touch that time. 
And so that to me, I, it's just being intentional about creating space. That's where I think technology is like use technology to help you. Yep. And, 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 and again, outside of those times, it's bonkers and it's bananas and like, yeah, because someone's going to come on the podcast and you know, this, it's like, this is the only time they can do it. Well, okay. We're going to wake up at 6am and, and do that show. Um, the luxury of being out here in San Diego is, you know, if I'm done at three o'clock, it's not yep. a terrible place to be. Mm -hmm. uh, it's funny the the two things that I saw, which I thought were interesting, they talked about how, how do you inspire creativity? One was, taking account of how much time and the creativity you have in the shower, which many people have great ideas. And the other one was walking. So if you, you can exercise and be clean, you probably have great ideas together. <laughs> uh, cool. And then the last question, when the young person or the career changer or the person who's fired themselves or gotten fired themselves walks in the door, um, what's the advice you give them without kind of doing the deep dive from them? Like what's the 10,000 piece of advice that you've gotten that you think is incredibly important? I'm not sure if I got this. I wish I got this. Mm. I, I think that when you're in an act break, you're not interviewing for a job, mm. you're interviewing for a mentor. And so the questions that I would ask, especially if I'm young, the questions that I would bring into the room, and I think there's a way to do this where it doesn't come off arrogantly is asking for a path, asking for, right? Like the last thing you wanna do is to get in a job and like, we're like, it's like dating. Like you hope and pray that this is the one. And then you get in there and you're like, well, this is not what I thought I signed up for at all. And so what questions can you ask to talk about mentorship, about, you know, finding the right people to learn from? You know, it's funny, I heard a great line um, from from Herman Edwards uh, the other day, where he talked about don't view things as a career, view it as an opportunity. Which I thought that was brilliant to look at it, look at things from that way, um, as opposed to saying, you know, what am I doing today to get me today? It's is where, what's the path I'm on, and, and is it the right path that, that you can kind of take when when it's out there? So yeah, I always say, is is it a job, a career, or a calling? You know, and yeah. again, some to look, look, guys, if you're 23 or 19 and you're listening to this, you might not have a say yet. Okay. Yeah. You might need to pay the bills. You, you might not get your first choice out of the gate on what your calling is, but continue to work on like, what is that for you and build that path towards that calling. Cool. So um, in closing, I just want to remind everybody, the name of the book is Return on Courage. The agency is courageous. The person we're speaking to is Ryan Berman. And Ryan, where can people find you, follow you, get the newsletter? Because uh, that's extremely, extremely important that, that there's a takeaway here that, that everybody can kind of grab after they listen. Yeah, so the weekly dose of courage, if that's something that seems interesting to you, mm -hmm. uh, go to ryanberman.com. You can sign up right there. If Return on Courage seems interesting uh, and, and you like my voice, model version of it, we're on Amazon. There's a Kindle version of it. If you're a hardcover person, we've got that as well. And then I have my, my Courageous podcast that goes out every Thursday as well on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify called Probably Really Surprising the Courageous Podcast. And, and the last one is if you like the socks, mm -hmm. um, go to sockproms.com. I think if it's your first time there, there is like a 20% discount promo code for using in the know. Cool. So Captain Courageous, uh, Ryan Berman. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the Cusp Show. Again, learn a lot. Um, amazing to see where your career is going to continue to go.
uh, stay warm and out of the rain in Southern California. And uh, once again, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Joe. Good cool. to see you, man. Once again, you've been listening to The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito for my co-host, Tom Richardson. We've been talking to Ryan Berman. The book is Return on Courage, and we will see you down the road.